You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. He's not too expressive in the verbal realm. He paints his feelings. Twin got this image stuck in his head. He paints the chaos, the violence, the suffering. We have more in common than you know, Sue. We both have someone we lost. I just want to get out of this fucking mess. And you can be. I don't want you here. I'm just trying to keep him calm. But I'm going to need your help. I want to help. Where is she? My brother's girl. What'd you do to her? You were in the apartment, yes? From the quaint town of Cary in the great state of North Carolina, USA, a big southern welcome to the Fry It Up podcast with Augustus Cho. On today's episode, which can also be seen on video via patreon.com backslash nanamusic, N-E-N-E-M-U-S-I-K, we are talking about the profession of acting. If you're interested in being on TV episodes, this particular episode of Product Podcast is for you because my guest has had success in getting cast on TV primetime shows as various characters, which in itself is a huge accomplishment. Ian Fleming, the author of James Bond, and he created the character, wrote in the movie Goldfinger, quote, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence. And to that, I add that third time is a skill. My guest obviously has the skill for he has been cast in billions, the blacklist and elementary FBI and so on. So hopefully by talking with my guest today, we may learn from his experience what his wisdom and secret is to success thus far. And with that, the Fry It Up podcast welcomes to the microphone, Joaquin Maceo Rosa. How are you, Joaquin? Hey, doing good. Good, good. I, I don't think I exaggerated in my introduction, so we, we hope to uh, gain some wisdom from you, your experience. Absolutely. Good. I imagine that you've been fully vaccinated by now. I imagine. <laughs> yeah, you have to in my industry. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, my work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I've noticed that you have to be fully uh, vaccinated and shoulder proof when you come on set. So it's part of the game, isn't it? It is. Uh, initially, after COVID ended, they were testing everyone. So you didn't need to be vaccinated. But as time moved forward, you know, it was just standard for the industry. You think it's getting a little uh, easier now that uh, COVID seems to be receding? Well, for work, absolutely. Yeah, I think all the industry is opening up. Um, but, you know, they were back at it pretty quickly. Um, last was, it's 2022 now. So early 2021, they were in full production. As long as you could test in, basically, like I did um, an episode of Chicago PD in the fall, and hundreds of people are tested every single day. Hundreds of people who are Chicago PD, uh, Chicago Fire, and Chicago Med. They have a sound stage, a lot. And in the soundstage, they dedicate a whole soundstage just to testing with nurses and the whole, the whole professional staff. So every morning you get up, you go to work, a testing. Isn't that amazing? It is. And I mean amazing in various number of senses. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's deep. It's deep on all sides. 
<laughs> but it's one of those things that if you're, you know, in certain <laughs> industries, uh, you, you do have to just do what you got to do and be safe about it. I think you caught my meaning. So that's good. Absolutely. I caught it. <laughs> now, you have an interesting uh, ethnic makeup, personally, because there are mm. not many Caribbean, Scottish and Mexican uh, ethnic makeup in terms of our industry. So tell, talk about that a little bit. Oh, it's mixed. It's mixed. My makeup is mixed. But uh, there's one thing is, is what you are, right? And then there's the other thing as to what you're perceived to be, right? Oh, absolutely. So, I hear that too. Yeah, those are two different things. And what you can play. The gift in being mixed is um, I can, I'm castable in many different ethnicities, you know, whether it be uh, Middle Eastern, uh, even East Indian, Caribbean, obviously black african-american and hispanic so my caribbean heritage is it goes in both directions in the english caribbean my my friends from trinidad my mother's friends from trinidad my father's family's from puerto rico but from the trinidadian side we have the mexican and the scottish and from puerto rico we have spain africa and martinique which goes to france so it's it's, it's a it's a big mix but what's important to know as an actor isn't so much you have to know for branding purposes what you're perceived as, but you have to know for your own purposes, have a strong sense of identity because it is that strong sense of identity, uh, ethnically, culturally, um, and otherwise, that allows you to really invest in these characters. And one thing that you learn by being from so many different backgrounds and so many different experiences, a wealth of experiences, um, is that you find that people are people. And that any character that you're given uh, to play or to portray, that at the core of all those characters is a human being who wants to be loved, who wants to be happy, and who wants to be uh, appreciated. And we have that in common, regardless what ethnicity you are. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge and it's an advantage. <laughs> yeah, you would think, you would think that what you said is very true, that, that deep down we're all the same. I, well, from a, a, I, I do believe that I feel that way. That's my philosophy, but also more specifically as an actor, right? As an actor, you're getting to the core of a hum, the human motivations in your character. So um, each character is, you, you find specificity, every single character, you know, you, I write a bio for every character. So there's specifics, you know, when they were born, you know, where they were born, you know, where they, what class were they raised in? There's specifics. But at the core of all those specifics on an underlying level, there's a foundation of humanity that we all share. And you have to be able to tap into that in order to get deep into the truth of a character. I appreciate an actor that's very intellectual and very cognitive. That's refreshing. It can be. It can be. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it can be good. It, it, can also, it can also be, in some cases, a little bit of um, a limitation for some people if you get too heady into it. Because there is a component that's heady. That's in terms of breaking it down and studying and being technical, but a, a much larger percentage is being able to tap into your emotions. And that goes into the spirituality as well. So it's, it's a broad craft and it's really, really exciting. Yeah, I mean, you're clearly a thinker. Uh, you portray your character uh, beyond just superficiality. You really tend to understand who you're trying to portray and what that character is all about. Um, that requires some analysis, you know, self-analysis as well as the uh, script that you're given. What are the process that you go through when you get a uh, character? 
to break it down so that you can legitimately make that person live. Right. So uh, I'm going to address the first thing you said, and then I'll answer your question. Uh, you know, you say I'm a thinker, but you, you have to be self-aware. You have to take your wealth of life experiences. Those are the ingredients. Those, that's the, you know, sasong. That's the, that's the garlic. That's the, the basil. That's the, the adobo. The different seasonings that go into a dish. You're wrong. So, so to be self-aware and to be able to observe oneself, you're able to identify the ingredients that you can put into the salsa, which becomes this character. As far as preparation, uh, you know, it's changed over the years. Uh, but to be more specific, I get a, I get a script from my agent and they're called sides. Uh, and the first thing you do is you read it, you know, and then you, how does, how does that script make you feel? How do you feel about it? You know, how do you feel about it? Um, that first impression is going to tell you a lot um, about how excited you are about the character, about the overall story. I also, if I can, what I'll do is I'll get the entire script and read the whole script so I understand what part that particular character plays in the arc. It's easier for television because like, let's say Law and Order, you've seen episode after episode, so you have a sense of the rhythm. You have a sense of what the arc of the, 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 uh, the story is, basically what the themes are of that particular show. So that's a lot easier. So I'll read the script, then I'll go to YouTube and I will, if I haven't seen a show yet, I'll go and I'll watch it. So I understand the, the rhythm and the pacing of the show, whether it's comedic, whether it's dramatic. Um, more on the business side, what I'll do is I'll, I'll look at, and this is just like a little, little nuggets for people uh, on a business side. In the breakdowns, which is where your script comes, they have the executive producer, right? They have the director, they have the casting director, they have all the, you know, the producers, all the, a, a synopsis of the staff. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll do research on each one of those people. So I understand who I'm going into the room with, what projects they have been a part of. This is important because the goal of the audition or the casting isn't always to book a role. I mean, of course, your goal is to book a role, okay, and to work. But a, a secondary goal and equally important is to develop relationships for the long, the long game and to understand who you're in the room with, understand uh, what are the projects they've done? So a great thing that happens is whether or not you get booked, what you give yourself an opportunity to do is be seen by these people who are working at different facets in the industry. Um, so once I do that, I begin to uh, study my script. Um, I'll take a script and I'll, I'll break it into beats. A, beats. a beat of a script is actually when, when you go from one subject matter to the other. So a scene of you know, two pages may have four different beats. And in those beats, I'll, I'll study what I'm saying, not line for line, not memorization. I'll study what I'm saying. And when you study what you're saying, you get a sense of what your intention is. Because it's not really the words so much. It's what is your intention. My intention is to make that person angry. That, my intention is to make that person leave the room. My intention is to intimidate that person. My intention is to... So you find the underlying intention with each beat that you're working with. You, you begin to learn that by re repetition and then you begin to read it out loud with, with a partner and, and it begins to sink into memorization. You work in your physicality, you put it on tape and then you, and then you run with it. What about uh, situations where the episode or film is actually in production already and you don't have any backgrounds to work with and you just get a slice, you know, just a, you get a scene 
that you right. don't know how that fits in front and back. How do you analyze that for us? Right, right. That'll happen with films because you don't have an episodic, you don't have anything else to look at. You may be able to look into the director, but every, every project is unique. And that's actually more fun. You have more latitude. Um, what you do is you go in there, you read it, you get your first impressions, your emotional impressions. You, you begin to, what is this character? Is this, what country do they come from? What background do they have? And you basically write up a fictional biography for this character and you begin to make choices. You have a lot of information, which is in the script, which you can kind of, it's like mining out gold nuggets, little things in the script that they'll tell you. Uh, and then you begin to work in your own subtext, right? You begin to work in what my personal intention is. Who is this person? Is this person someone who really, 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 really needs what? They really need money. They really need acknowledgement. Are they insecure? And then you fill in all those blanks with your own choices. And when you make those choices, you commit 100% to those choices. You may be, they may not be the choices that they even, the casting directors and directors, when they, or even the writer, when they wrote it, they, you may bring out something in your personal choice for the character that shows them something. Because basically what a casting is, they don't always know what they're looking for, but they know when they see it. So when you read this part, you make your choices and you commit to them 100%, you sell out on your choices, you may bring something out, something that they didn't even know was within the character that they may love. They may either hire you for the job or oftentimes they'll take the idea and they'll work it into whoever they audition next, you know. I understand. How did you uh, get into acting? What got you interested in the field? What got me interested in the field? Um, well, quite frankly, uh, my mother was um, at Yale University. She was doing her dissertation. She also worked there. Uh, she was the director of the African-American Cultural Center and I got to experience a lot of theater. Uh, Lloyd Richards was at, in his last years at Yale University. And I got to see you know, Angela Bassett do one woman show. And so I was going to see Rapunzel. My parents were taking me to Broadway. I was seeing Serafina, uh, Jelly's Last Jam, uh, various uh, Broadway plays, as well as film and television. Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, all, just a little kid watching and experiencing all these things. And just falling in love with these characters and falling in love with the storytelling. Uh, I didn't know from that that I wanted to be an actor. I did know that uh, I was taping on VHS, taping shows, taping movies, uh, enjoying them to the fullest. And it wasn't until I got to, to college uh, that I really even thought that it was a viable path. I didn't know anyone personally in, in our life, in, in lives of my family who are actually in the entertainment industry outside of a, an uncle who was in, in news in a, on PBS. Um, so it was, a, it was a winding road. But once I got uh, bit by it, that was it. Before we move on, what was your mother's dissertation? Mom's a psychologist. So at the time, I think she was, I don't know what her dissertation was on. I was quite small. But I know that her field is more so psychology of oppression. Uh, she's a, she has a private practice. She's also a consultant. So she uh, did a lot of work with uh, eating disorders, with uh, discrimination, with uh, diverse. Right now, she works mainly in the field of diversity within consulting. Um, so we, she was pretty strong in the civil rights movement and in the, the Black and Latino community uh, and, you know, working people. So, those so, you, so, so you have a, you're familiar with the academic background. 
with I'm familiar with academics. Oh yeah, my parents are both my my parents are both super readers, and so yeah, education is is huge. It's it's always been huge. Yeah, I understand. What was the uh, point that you got bit in the uh, acting industry? I mean, it goes so far back. I don't remember the point at which I got bit. Um, I do know that uh, I remember a really important moment in my development, which was I was uh, living in San Francisco. I played uh, my I played football, American rules football. I was an athlete growing up. So that's one of the reasons why I never really gravitated towards the arts. Uh, and my football career had come to a close after college. And I was kind of floating around. I had some I had a friend who was an actor. Uh, she was in various television shows and films that I met in college. And she said, oh, you should model. I took an acting class with her. She said, oh, you should do some modeling. So I got into modeling thinking that it would help me get into acting. Did it? Uh, once I was in San Francisco, I started, I was working behind the camera with documentary and corporate video out in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area. And my uncle, who was a director at the time, was taking an acting class. And he said, hey, I know you want to be an actor, so why don't you want to take this acting class? And... It had been about three or four years since I stopped playing football, which is the thing I really loved. The first day in this acting class, I felt more at home than I had ever felt in my life. It was exactly like playing football in terms of it was, it's dangerous and it's vulnerable. It's not dangerous physically. Sports are dangerous physically. Acting is dangerous emotionally. And <laughs> once I was in that setting, the very first class, I knew 100% that even more so than being an athlete, that this is truly who I was. You're talking about Shelton Studios? Yes, Gene Shelton Studios. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll get, we're gonna get back to that. I just wanted to, yeah. the context of what you're talking about there when you talked about the acting class. Um, so prior to acting, what was your biggest accomplishment in life? What kind of accomplishment, personally, or, or like what was I, what awards personally, did I win? Per personally. Uh, Joaquin, what was the biggest accomplishment Joaquin has had, had before you got into acting? That's interesting. I mean, that's such an interesting question. So many ways to define that. I mean, for me, my, my, my best accomplishment or my highest accomplishment was surviving the various and thriving in the various environments I was raised in between New York City, New Haven, Connecticut, Western Massachusetts, uh, and coming out of it with some goals, uh, you know, I, I really admired a gentleman by the name of, or I still do, uh, Paul Robeson, who was a, a huge hero uh, in the black community and in, in, the, in the world in the early part of the 20th century. And one of the things that he did that I, that I you know, admired so much was he was an all-American football player at Rutgers and an, all -Amer an academic all-American. So, what I was able to do by the time in my younger years, you know, um, once I got into college, I was able to accomplish some goals in, in terms of being an athletic All-American as well as an academic All-American. And from there, waiting it out, not jumping into law school or, or any path, but really spending the next couple of years after college searching my soul and basically being faithful to what, doing what I love with my life as opposed to jumping into something to conform to someone else expe as else's expectations. So I had some accomplishments, some academic All-Americans, some, you know, you know, accolades, whatever. But I think the biggest accomplishment was always remaining faithful to 
what my heart told me to do and what, what my true love was and, 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 and investing in that. Okay, well that turned out to be in acting, is that right? Acting behind the camera and in front of the camera. So my, my start was behind the camera within documentary film um, out in the Bay Area. So I got a lot of skills in that, in that way moved in front of the camera and because technology's changed, I've also been able to move behind the camera as well, so. So before you got to that field, mm-hmm. you feel that your biggest accomplishment was being faithful to a cause that you haven't done yet. Yeah, faithful to, um, to what I call, what my mother used to say, your, what is your calling? You know, it was really important. Every, every person has a purpose and if you're right. quiet enough and you're faithful enough, you can find out what that purpose is and, and not cutting that short, you know, basically going into that, which ended up being the arts, basically. So before then, your biggest accomplishment was being an athlete and being all academics. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and what I feel was, you know, basically being committed to being the best person I could be for the people in my life, you know. Wonderful. And we will be right back after this important message. Who made those bombs, Bernardo? We're going to have a hard time convincing our U.S. attorney to show you any consideration the longer you drag this out. You can't help me. There's no prison, no special unit, but they won't get to me. I'm going to die in prison no matter what. I tell you anything, I'm dead the day I arrive, like Wilmer. I don't talk. You put me away. I could live inside another 40 years. That's still better than where I came from. And we're back. You haven't mentioned this, so I will. You you went to Morehouse College. I did. Which is a historically black uh, college, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a school with, with quite a legacy, yeah. Well, absolutely. So since you haven't talked about it, I've raised it. How'd you end up over there? It's a big topic, uh, but how, how I ended up at Morehouse was I had a cousin out in uh, Oakland um, who went to the summer program at Morehouse, and we made a plan to go to Morehouse together. So by where the time- you, Where we, were you living? I was, where was I living? Yeah. Yeah, I was living in Massachusetts. So I was basically, okay. yeah, I was living in, in Western Massachusetts, Amherst, Massachusetts, uh, which is a college town as well. So my yeah, mother, Dartmouth. you know, has, worked at colleges. So I've always been in the college environment. So college was something that was going to happen for me. I was going to go to college. Um, I was raised in a predominantly uh, white setting in that area. And, <laughs> I would say. You know, so, yeah, predominantly white. So that was uh, challenging. There was a lot to deal with in, in that regard. But I was also exposed to my father used to take me to uh, Morgan Grambling football games in Yankee Stadium, which is a historically black college. And he had a buddy of his who went to South Carolina state. So we go to these like black college football games. Right. So I was introduced to that, that historically black institution, uh, you know, uh, that, that world a little bit growing up. You're talking about so, South Carolina state, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was at a Morgan state Grambling homecoming game that I decided that I wanted to be a professional football player. So that was always in my mind the, you know, knowing the history of the black colleges um, by the time I was ready to, to apply and to go to one uh, Morehouse was a place that I identified uh, as being, you know, a good academic school to go to in Atlanta. And I applied and, and I got in. Um, so, you know, that's how I ended up, you know, going to Morehouse. 
it, it, for me, it was culturally. I felt at that time in my life, you know, I'm very black identified. So I felt that it was something that I was missing. I needed to follow the cultural line, you know, so I, <laughs> went, I wanted to go down south. I wanted to. But what's interesting, you know, being in a white environment, being identified as black and also self-identifying as being African-American. Um, it wasn't until I got to Morehouse that I really realized it became a lot more complex, but it also educated to me as actually how black I am, but how actually immigrant I am and how uh, Caribbean I am specifically, you know, culturally, not in terms of skin color necessarily, but culturally. So from Morehouse, I ended up going and studying abroad in the Dominican Republic because from getting the black experience, now I wanted more of the Hispanic experience. So I ended up going and studying in the Dominican Republic as well. Also, the Morehouse has great drum line. Yeah, uh, you talking about the band? Oh yeah, nah, not more. No, <laughs> nah, I'm gonna diss my school, man. <laughs> nah, man, you gotta go to Grambling. You gotta go to uh, Florida A&M. You know, uh, there's you some other schools. With Morgan, Morehouse Drumline. They're all right. They're all right. <laughs> well, they're okay. I, I take your I take your judgment on that. <laughs> I was on the field, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you identify yourself as black when you're actually combined with a number of other ethnicities? Yeah, you know, look. How does that, what's the rationale? Yeah, I, you know, race identity shifts in, you know, it, identity in general shifts as one moves through life. You know, we identify, there's so many things to identify with, but yeah, no, I was a, I was a black kid raised in the United States. That's it. Really? There was no doubt about it. I mean, my, my father is, uh, my parents were in the civil rights movement. You know, my father is from Puerto Rico. He's very dark skinned. Those other ethnic, ethnicities are, are great grandparents. And, you know, we know in the United States is a very clear color line. You have black and white. And then you might have a little, a, you know, you have Asian and then you have Hispanics, which Hispanics can be from the darkest to the lightest and all over the map. So uh, definitely because of my parents' political consciousness at that time and also because I was raised in a predominantly white environment. I mean, I was raised between New York City and, and these other environments. So the sense of identity was constantly shifting. But the one piece of my identity which was never in question for me although well, to get a little more complex on it though black is race is a color right those other mexican scottish you know caribbean the, the, those are ethnicities those are nationalities so they're black people in all of those countries as well so yeah identity is a complex issue but it's incredibly rich. It's an incredibly rich topic. We could talk all day about that. So I hear. Yes. Uh, when you were growing up in uh, Amherst, Amherst yeah. Typically, yeah, typically known as sort of a more of a liberal community because it's, no, it's yeah. in North, Northeast New England and liberal college and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like from what I hear, and I could be wrong, but it sounds like there were some uh, undesirable experiences that you felt as a self-identified Black person. Is that? Of course, yeah. That right? I mean, liberal... The, the word liberal if, is... Yeah, if that's the case, then uh -huh. uh, how is that possible in a liberal community when they're supposed to be inclusive and acceptance and all that other stuff? Yeah, for me, the word liberal, first of all, it's, re it's relative. So it's re related to the, to, to, uh, the South <laughs> in relation, you know, related to those other environments. It's liberal. But liberal is also a very surface word, right? It's like wearing a medal. <laughs> It's like wearing a medal, like we're so 
not racist. So that community is very, it's very diverse because of the university. So you have people from all over the world who live there, which is amazing. Um, that doesn't eliminate. Yeah, yeah you, you know, liberal is something that the ma so-called majority uh, group prides themselves in being. But the ways of separating people and the ways in which we separate ourselves it exists everywhere, not only in the United States, but all around the world. So it's not, there, there, yeah, there were some really traumatic experiences, of course. But I wouldn't take any of it away because it's in these environments where you are more integrated, so to speak, where you get to really study people and you get to really understand that everything doesn't resolve or revolve around the color of a person's skin, you know? But there's, of course, if you're a minority in, in any way, in any place, if you're of the smaller group where there's a larger group, there's going to be discomfort and there's going to be challenges. And there's also going to be incredibly wonderful experiences, like someone who looks like me, who has a cultural background like me, you know, riding horseback, playing hockey, you know, shoveling ponds and snow days to play hockey with my friends, growing up skiing, all of these experiences that typically when I walk down the street, people don't necessarily think that I might've had in my life, you know? So it was amazing and it was challenging. Yeah, you played ice hockey in New England and I played ice hockey in the South, so. There you go. Yeah, I feel your pain. Um, so putting all these things together, what is your strength as an actor when you combine all these things? What do you think you present? Uh, power and authenticity, basically. Um, all these experience, all these experiences, like I said before, are ingredients. Um, and you get those ingredients from your history, from your past. Um, these experiences also, you know, part of it I was born with, you know, part of it, you got to be born with a certain amount of passion for who you are. You're, you're born with some talents. You know, there's certain things you find out in life that you're, you're better suited for. Maybe you're better at drawing or maybe you're better at running or whatever. So some of these things that come with, as far as acting goes, I found along the line, I'm, I was just, this is who I am. This is what I'm made for. Um, but I also think that life, and if we could get a little more spiritual on it, I think that we're born into certain circumstances that will give us the, the tools to develop the natural talents that we have. So overcoming adversity, you know, sports, as well as being um, somewhat in a disadvantaged position, sometimes economically, sometimes culturally, sometimes racially, it gives you a certain sense of power in the sense of overcoming challenges, um, which you need in the entertainment industry because it's an industry where you're on your own, you know, you're on your own in the sense, not, not that you don't have friends and, and but you really have to have a drive. It's not like you're, you're gonna walk into a situation where you have an automatic pension or you have an automatic road, call, uh, paint, by, paint by number where someone's telling you every step of the way what to do, when to wake up. So you have to develop certain skills that are around self-discipline. Um, but more than anything, I think just the variety of people that I've been uh, associated with, the, the, the kinds of people I've been around, whether it be family, friends, associates, in all the various environments, it really allows me to tap into 
and see something unique in each character. And it gives me a confidence uh, that I can swing with the best of them in any environment. And that comes from being raised in, in different environments. I mean, you know that being in the field that you're in, it's very competitive. And it's, in fact, it's probably more competitive than a, a, a sports. Because when you get cast or when you audition, you're talking about 15, 20, 30,000 people who are trying to get the role, right? And so how do you deal with that kind of uh, competition? I don't, I don't deal with the competition. There's no competition. I mean, there, if you look at it from the outside in, of course, but from the inside, all you can do is what you do. I have no control over what anyone else does. So what I do is I commit a thousand percent to what I'm committing to, to my work, to my task. And what happens and, when that thousand percent doesn't work out? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and it's also having the ability to respond to respond uh, when you feel like the world or the casting director or the particular you know situation you're in is saying no and to continue to, to move on regardless of, of what it may seem like in the moment. But as far as competition, I think it, if you spend any time at all really, see, it's not, it's not a sport, right? So sports, which I, I have a background in sports, which makes me, competition in that sense always made me come alive. It really, there's just something in me that just comes alive when there is actual competition. How fast do you run? Well, that can be measured. When it comes to the arts, you can't really measure it. That's you why know? it's more difficult. Yeah, it's subjective. So yeah. it's, I spend less time studying anyone else. I mean, you can get inspiration and you can learn everywhere you go from everyone you meet. But when it comes down to the actual task, which is to, to prepare for a role or to go after a role, all you have is your work. You invest a thousand percent in your work. The time that you take looking at some or looking over your shoulder or looking at someone else is the, is the energy that you take away from yourself. Uh, so I don't really think of it as, I don't really think of it as competitive at all. I think the biggest challenge is cultivating within oneself, one's own self-belief. I think that's all that matters. Okay, sounds good. Several years ago uh, on IMDb, I think it's on that personal IMDb thing. They listed 5 million people that are on IMDb. Okay. And I imagine by now, I don't know, maybe pushing 10 million that are in the field of acting and, you know, film and all those industry type of thing. That's pretty daunting in terms of numbers. And when you look at these numbers, you try to, you know, get cast on it. That's a tough gig. Uh, yeah, numbers don't matter, man. <laughs> I mean, it's an extension of what, what, what we were just talking about. Numbers mean nothing. What, what, what matters, and this isn't only acting, right? This is any human being who, who you know, has reached an age, let's say teenage or seven years old, 10 years old. What matters is identifying what, you, what really makes you tick, what makes you excited about being alive, right? And then investing in that. That's what matters. Like how many people are in the field? There's no, and, and, and as far as numbers, there's really no limitation as well as you can, you know, there's really no limitation to the amount of work there is as well. It's not like you're comp competing for 10 jobs. The industry with, with the internet has exploded. So you have infinite, they have Netflix, you have Amazon, you have, you have, you know, you have all these 
you have so much more content being created at this point that, you know, looking at numbers is really a shortage consciousness sort of thing. At the end of the day, you always have the ability to create your reality. So if you're not seeing the roles or whatever, you know, write a script, do your own films, invest in yourself. It's not, it's not even about the numbers, you know? All right, let's move on. Um, For someone who's trying to follow your footsteps, what is the most important skill that they need to have as an actor actor or actress? Perseverance. Yeah, perseverance. The ability to, to go after what you want. You know, because there, there are people who are very successful who are not very talented. I think that people put too much emphasis on talent. You know, it's not about talent. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful to be talented, good for, good for whoever is talented. But perseverance will allow you to develop the skill set to be really great. Even if you didn't start off being great, no one starts off being great at anything, uh, with the exception of like 0.001% of anyone who's ever been born, right? It just takes uh, perseverance. And right behind perseverance, in order to accomplish or to, to persevere, one has to love what one does. So if you love what you do, it tends to be a lot easier. Okay. Uh, you studied at Shelton Studios in San Francisco in New York. Uh, what, how did you end up there and why? Uh, Shel- uh, Shelton Studios? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was just a quick suggestion from an uncle who... I had who was a producer actually my first job in the industry was working a uh, production assistant with him on corporate videos in Silicon Valley and he was taking a he was di- he was going into directing and so he was taking an acting class to help him and uh he said hey you should go you should go to Gene Shelton Studios and when I went there I also Danny Glover at the time was one of my favorite actors and I learned that she was his coach um and I found myself you know between my corporate gigs and my documentary filmmaking gigs that's where I found myself what approach does the uh, Shelton Studios take yeah you know people in the acting world tend to talk about Meisner versus method this is like this endless debate uh, Gene Shelton was part of the the, the, the birth of the actor studio in New York City she did not identify which path she taught I'm sure it was a combination of because she was part of the um, the original uh, Meisner or Stanislavski, the, the original group who created the Actor Studio. So I don't know what the name of her technique would be per se, other than, you know. Can you describe what the technique is? Can I what describe she f- what the technique is? Or um, what, what she focuses on? It depends. I mean, like we did, in, it, you know, the class that you take. So you take improv class, you take voice classes, you take scene study classes and scene study is like a, a great beginning point uh because you get scripts and you begin to do biographies with characters you begin to understand uh the intention of each character um and you begin to fill them out with with life you begin to learn how to work a script uh, what people tend to do if they don't know anything they begin to memorize right um which is kind of working it backwards. So what you want to work through is your intention of each scene, uh, what you want as a, as a character, what you want out of the characters who are in the scene with you. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that when it comes to acting and acting technique, it's really, people get really heady about it 
what's this technique? What's that technique? Um, really when it, I'll tell you what I think, what I experienced, really it's, it's a bit of magic and you really can't describe it. It's kind of like asking, you know, um, you know, asking Miles Davis why they play, why he plays a certain note. Like, I don't know. It came out, you know, there's some magic in it. There's some stuff that you can't explain. Um, what I will say about taking acting classes and going to acting school is that it's an important step in terms of developing one's confidence uh, in the craft of acting. Uh, the technique isn't the most important thing. And as you move past the, that phase of your career where you're in school or in classes, uh, you kind of internalize and develop your own way of working. And every single actor has a different uh, a different focus. Uh, I think the starting point, maybe Meisner, maybe the method, that may be a starting, starting point or starting blocks, give you certain tools as to how to develop, how to practice, how to break down a script. But it really becomes a, a lot more uh, magical as you move forward. <laughs> I hear you. So is it possible to have, have that confidence without taking these classes? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I, I guess for some people, it depends on what your background is, what your personality is, you know, who you are. I mean, if you grew up in the industry or you grew up performing, which I, I didn't. Um, but I mean, I think it helps quite a bit because I don't know too many people who are actors who, who pursue it. that just happen to grow up in an in a acting or a theater family. I think once you get in a circle of people that had that that is obviously identified as being very talented or at least very where the, the, the industry shines a light, like the actor yeah. shines a light on them. Once you get in there like like a like an athlete, like if I'm if I'm playing basketball and I play in the corner and I'm really good on my block, okay, whatever. But if I go and I play in the summer league in the NBA and I'm playing with some of the top NBA players and I realize I can hold my own. Then you develop some confidence. You know, I went to the actor studio uh, and, and worked with Elizabeth Kemp at the actor studio. And she was the uh, assistant artistic director there. Anyway, I, I just was working with a high level of talent. And once I got in the ring with these people and, and really felt like I did, I held my own. It helped me to develop confidence. That was for me. I don't know if that's the path for everyone. But it definitely, and I, and I think it has the potential to definitely, and people sometimes just need the stamp of approval of a degree or of a certain uh, fraternity of actors. Or, you know what I mean? Sometimes it just helps with people's confidence. It's not going to be the thing that makes you successful, though. The thing that makes you successful is more about you personally. Yes, well put. This is the end of part one. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in the next time for part two. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing to our podcast.